1: Jesus, is he the rock of offense or is he the rock of stability? Is he your foundation or your stumbling block? That's what we'll discuss today as we continue our journey through Romans right here on Abounding Grace. And again, greetings in Christ, and welcome to today's broadcast of Abounding Grace from Reformed Heritage Church in San Jose and online at reformedheritage.org. Well, today we are back in Romans chapter 9, picking up in verses 25 and working our way forward as we see the righteous only in the rock. And that is where our righteousness lies only in Christ? Is he a stumbling block or the foundational cornerstone of your life? That's what we are exploring today and coming up with some amazing answers. Here's
2: Pastor Gary Wagner with today's Abounding Grace. The Holy Spirit gives us his own judgment and he says as a whole, the Jews did not seek righteousness by faith, but as it were as if it were even possible, by the works of the law. Now that phrase, as it were, and listen carefully, the law was never given, ever, 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 even hypothetically, so that a man by obeying it could obtain justification. That was not the purpose of the law. The law was given to reveal God's righteousness to us, It was given to expose our sinfulness and to to point us to the promised Messiah who was included with the giving of the law in blood. Everywhere you looked around Mount Sinai, there was blood. When Moses received the law, when he received the instructions for the tabernacle, when they built the tabernacle, everything was sprinkled with blood. Why? Because you can't do it. You cannot be good enough to go to heaven as we would say it today. You cannot be good enough to obtain God's favor. You cannot do it. So what does God do? God says, priest, put your hands on the head of that bull or on the head of that goat as a symbol of the transference of guilt Slit its neck, let the blood flow, pointing to Christ, the Lamb of God, who would take away the sins of the world. So, beloved, the law was never given, Paul says, ever, ever, ever to earn God's favor. Paul said, I used to think it was, but, of course, I was sadly deluded. It was never given for that purpose. So dispensationalism, with its Old Testament law, And the New Testament, as simply a book of grace, just goes bye-bye with this. It is not a tenable theory because it is just a theory. For the Word of God says the law was never given for the purpose of making men righteous. Ever, ever, ever. It was meant to reveal God's righteousness, to expose our sinfulness... And then by leading us to trust in the blood of the substitute, and then showing us how to lead a life that is pleasing to God. So it is not simply, listen, that Israel failed, failed to obtain righteousness. They went about trying to obtain it the wrong way. It's not simply that they didn't get it. They went about it the wrong way. But there's more. They stumbled at that stumbling stone. So wait a minute. He goes from they tried to get righteousness by obeying the law to a stumbling stone. Turn to Isaiah chapter 8. Because one of the most profound things that unifies scripture... And begins to open up God's word to us is the realization that the promise and the reality of salvation in Christ does not begin in the book of Matthew. It begins all the way back in the Old Testament. The hope of God's true people within Israel was Christ. So beginning in Isaiah chapter 7, it opens up with Ahaz, a very wicked king. He's tried to befriend Tiglath-Pelazer, the Assyrian monarch. In fact, in order to buy him off, he emptied a substantial portion of the treasury, went to Damascus where Tiglath-Pelazer was ravaging the ten northern tribes, made his ob- obe- obeisance, made an offering, and even copied the altar that tiglath Pilazar had made in Damascus. He had the artisans in Jerusalem make it and put it in the Holy of Holies. So he introduced just unbelievable adultery. Well, things get rough because relations had broken down between Ahaz and the Assyrians. So Ahaz is having to think about going to Egypt to get some support troops from the south to protect him from the threat of the north, the Assyrians. So at this point, Isaiah comes to him, beginning in verse 10 of Isaiah, and says, Moreover, the Lord spoke again to Ahaz, saying, Ask thee a sign of the Lord thy God. Ask it either in the depth or in the height above. But Ahaz said, I will not ask. In other words, I do not believe. I do not want a sign from God. I reject his grace. I reject his covenant. Neither will I tempt the Lord. Falseness and hypocrisy of Ahaz. And then Isaiah said, hear ye now, O house of David. It is a small thing for you to weary men, but will you weary my God also? Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. One of the most precious promises of the Lord Jesus Christ in the Old Testament, given at a moment of incredible crisis in Judah's history to a very wicked king, to encourage him. Don't worry as he goes through chapter 8. Don't say conspiracies, conspiracies, conspiracies. Everything is upside down. Judah's territory is being lost more and more until basically all that is left to them is Jerusalem and the surrounding plains. And the Lord says, but Emmanuel is coming. So trust me. Trust my promise. I will deliver you. And he continues in chapter 8, verse 12. And we find our verse here from Romans 9. Say ye not a confederacy to all of them, to whom this people shall say a confederacy. We would say, instead of confederacy, a conspiracy. Now what are they doing? Neither fear ye their fear, he says. Men form conspiracies out of fear of divine judgment. And he says, nor be afraid, but sanctify the Lord of hosts himself, and let him be your fear, and let him be your dread. And he shall be for a sanctuary, but for a stone of stumbling and for a rock of offense to both the houses of Israel. So here's the promise of the Messiah. He says, I don't want it. I don't want any signs. Everyone in Jerusalem is wringing their hands about conspiracies against them. And God says, don't be afraid of grasshoppers. You hear that, men? Conspiracies you hear going all around you. What does God call them? He calls them grasshoppers. Trust me, he says. Let me be your fear. Let me be your dread. But notice what he says. The one that I send, Emmanuel... He's going to be a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense to you, which is exactly what he was, even 700 years before he came. The Jews were already stumbling over the Messiah. We don't want Emmanuel. We don't want someone who will cleanse us of sin. We don't want a righteousness outside of us. We want righteousness and life on our own terms. Neither Ahaz. Nor the majority of Jews would believe that deliverance would come from him, Christ. They trusted themselves and directly rejected the promise of the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And it says, and when he came to his own, his own received him not. They were still stumbling and they crucified the Lord of glory. Now we need to see something about Back to Romans 9, Paul's use of Isaiah 18, 14, 8, 14 in this context. What he is saying here is the Jews have always been rebellious as a whole. Now, God has a remnant, but as a whole, the people, their religion, Judaism, has been stumbling over Jesus Christ, rejecting Christ from the beginning. Stephen made this explicit in his sermon in Acts 7. And what did he get for it? The leaders of the people stoned him. They killed him for it. And the Jews would never bow before this truth. Never. They would not make themselves righteous before God. There was not a law given, Paul said in Galatians 3.21, that would make us righteous. Righteousness comes from outside of us, from a manual from God with us. So in every epic of Old Testament revelation, God gave increasingly clear promises that the Messiah is coming to save men from their sins and give us a righteousness that we cannot ourselves come up with. So the cross was much an offense in Isaiah's day, as in Paul's day, as it still is to the Jews today. Men hope that they can save themselves. For the Jews, the hope is what? Judaism is now a religion of the rabbis. Some of them go into mysticism and the Kabbalah. Others just settle into a fierce nationalism, that they are God's chosen people today. Of course, the Gentiles are really no better even though the conversion of the Gentiles continues, there is still a significant mass of them that stumble over Christ. We will not have this man to rule over us. So what do they choose? They choose statism and environmentalism and militarism and educationalism and sexualism, whatever it may be, anything but to bow beneath the Savior. But it is pointless for us to fight against God in this, because it says in verse 33, Behold, I lay in Zion. I lay. I lay in the church a stumbling stone and rock of offense. He says, I did it. God says this rock is going to smash man's pride or save man by crushing man's rebellion. But I have to put the rock here. And this rock is my son. Just like Moses split the rock in the wilderness. I'm going to cleft the rock. Which is my son. And from him will pour forth cleansing blood. Life giving water and grace. But men don't want to hear about this do they? And particularly behold I lay in Zion. Or in the church. Oh no that means then I've got to go listen to preaching. Uh, Now, I'm fine going to hear psychotherapy, and it would be fine to go to hear about moralism, because if salvation is by moralism, then it is within me, and I can do it. Uh, I can do it. Or if it's fuzzy feelings, or if it's fix my life in three easy lessons, yeah, that really appeals to me. But the preaching of the cross... Beloved, that's the last thing people will come to hear unless God draws them to hear. Jesus said in John 6, no one can come to me, no one. No one is even seeking me. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draw him. And that is a very strong verb there, which means to not just draw, but to drag, No one. Because the preaching of the cross is foolishness. And why is it foolishness? Because the preaching of the cross says to our pride, you are going to go to hell if you do try to do it yourself. You don't have any righteousness. That's what the cross says to us. The cross says you don't have any goodness. The cross says the wrath of God hangs upon you unless you believe in this one who hung on the cross and who is now raised from the dead and is our Lord in Christ. Oh, you mean I have to believe that? You mean I don't have something that I can bring to this? You mean I don't have some goodness, some faith, some choice? You're saying I have nothing? Yes, you have nothing. That is what the cross says. And that is why the cross presses. We don't want to hear today about hellfire and damnation. Why is that? Because we don't want to hear about the cross. Because the cross was hellfire and damnation against the Lamb of God. Instead of being against us. Now we want to hear about how we are nice people. Here's how you can feel good about yourself. Here's how you can live in sin, but feel better about it. Here's how you can get out of sin in your strength. But there is very little, as Paul told the Corinthians, I will preach nothing except Christ and Him crucified. I want to know Him in His fullness. Every sermon has got to come back to there is no power to save men, but through the crucified, risen, reigning Lamb of God. There is no power to holiness except through coming before the crucified Savior, confessing our sins, pleading His blood, seeking His cleansing, because He is the propitiation for our sins. He is the one who took our death blow. And when we come to Him, we are forgiven. We are cleansed and we are strengthened. Only the preaching of the cross, only this stumbling stone. That is why God calls it that. It is a stumbling block. Have you ever had a rock in your yard or an uneven plank on the floor of your decking? And every time you walk over it, you're not thinking about it, and you just stumble. That's what Christ is unless we willingly, freely confess our sinfulness and our need of his blood and his righteousness. And we plead nothing else except his forgiveness. Let me encourage you with the last phrase of verse 33 today. To fall under this rock. Let this rock fall on you. If you don't let Christ fall on you and crush your pride, and crush your self-initiative. And crush your, I can do it. And even as believers, if we don't come back to this rock often and say, Son of God, Lord of glory, crush my pride. Crush my, I don't need to pray. My, I only need the word so I can check that off that I had had the word. I don't need to eat it. I don't need to drink it. I don't need to take it in. I don't need to meditate on it. I can just... Do that for ten minutes in the morning. And then I can think my thoughts for the rest of the day. Oh, rock of God, fall upon me. Should be the prayer of every believer's heart. And crush my pride. Because if we don't, that rock will crush us like it did the Jews. And they have never recovered. Because that rock led them through the wilderness. That rock that was split for them. The manna that followed them. The river that literally escorted them through the wilderness. They rejected it all. And they said, come, this is the air. Oh, they knew who he was. And they said, let's kill him. Seize his inheritance. And it will be ours. But you know, we have to build on that foundation of Christ's righteousness. There is no other, Paul said in First Corinthians 11... You know, a great proof of this, that there is no other foundation, is the catastrophe that everywhere meets us throughout the West. The rubble of institutions, families, marriages, children. It is amazing when you go to restaurants and you realize that so many of the young ladies who are doing the waitressing, to talk to them just a little bit, and hear, they come from broken families and have children out of wedlock. I mean, we see it just broken right in front of our faces. But why is life so broken? Some men would say it's because we don't have enough money for education in this country. Some people would say the government just needs to print more money for us. Some people would say we just need to be more conservative. Some people would say, we need to switch over to renewable energy. That would solve all of the large percentage of our problems. There are all kinds of people out there saying, this is what you need to do. We need to do this. We need to do that. We need to do this. All blind guides of the blind No, we need to fall under the stone. We need to pray that the Lord Jesus would fall on us again by his mercy. And that the rock of Yahweh would crush us as a people now. So he doesn't crush us in hell forever. Because on that day, if you do not pray for this rock, if you do now willingly bow, if you, if you do willingly bow before the Lord Jesus Christ and look to him for your only righteousness, there is coming a day when you are still going to have to deal with rock. It says in Revelation, in Isaiah, says it as well, when we, are, when we see the wrath of the Lamb, we will pray, please, for the rocks to fall upon us and for the earth to open up and swallow us before the wrath of the Lamb. So come to the Lord Jesus Christ now. Close with Christ as we've talked about in the past. Young people don't follow those in the nation today who say, our lips are our own. Who will rule over us? Our sexuality is our own. Our body is our own. Our finances are our own. Our government is our own. Who will rule over us? We will not have this man, Christ, to rule over us. Well, if we won't especially since we once professed him at some level. If we don't have this rock to rule over us, it will crush us. We're seeing it before our very eyes. There's no middle ground, my friends. These things take time to unfold themselves, sure, as the wheat and the tares grow together. But please understand, everyone has a destiny, has an appointed meeting with that rock. So fall on it now, confess, look to no other righteousness but his obedience, plead no other cleansing but his shed blood. If you have been a believer for a long time and you are hearing this for the millionth time, keep loving, considering, meditating on, drawing near to, communing with the Lord Jesus. Because none of this is a set of propositions. This is the work of a living, reigning person. And he has drawn you to himself. So love him and rejoice that when the rock of God's judgment should fall on you, he took that rock himself. He took God's justice. He took our hell upon himself by his stripes. So be healed today. We all struggle with things in our family. That's a given accidents happen of course they do sin rears its ugly head yes it does but if we are built upon the rock jesus said he who hears my words and builds on them is secure why because he is the rock of ages he who hears my words and builds on them storms come floods come But a house will stand if it is built upon the rock. So let me encourage you, as Paul encouraged the believers in some of his letters. Be rooted in Christ. Seek to be more established in him. Each one of us needs to be meditating upon his word more. None of you can say that you meditate on his word enough. We need to be reading the gospels. Memorizing large portions of the gospel. Because this is the rock of our salvation how can we neglect it beloved there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved amen